We've all heard some great lawyer jokes. Trust us, we've heard them, all of them. But without sounding too adversarial, lawyers are humans too. In fact, that's the main theme of this podcast. Welcome to The Human Lawyer, the time and place where we have conversations with lawyers focusing on the intersection of the existential and the practical. Zebras don't change their stripes, or do they? Terry Falk identifies himself as an ex-lawyer, but that's really not true. At least we don't think so. You'll find Terry at my case and LawPay's parent company, Affinapay. LawPay is the ubiquitous payment processing company for law firms and law business. It's probably a bastardized summary, but that's one perception. Terry's professional life has been committed to the delivery of alternative legal services before doing so was popular. His passions include SaaS sales, people leadership, and being a girl dad. He also must love sports. Can you live in Philly if you don't? Rumor has it that to obtain, obtain a driver's license, you must declare a rooting interest for a Pennsylvania sports team. We'll see if that's true. And if so, who's your team? But back to labeling, let's revisit the declaration of being an ex-lawyer, whether Terry really believes that, and if so, why? Welcome to the Human Lawyer Podcast for the second time. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So, yeah. So we recorded this probably uh, 30 minutes ago-ish, and I forgot to hit record. So here we are. Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't record this. We didn't record this. <laughs> We've gotten to know each other really well. This is yeah. going to be a totally different conversation. That's right. <laughs> we could just recreate ourselves. Uh, That's right. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah, so when uh, and preparing for this, I, I would say I was frustrated by the lack of presence you have on the internet. So it makes my job uh, super difficult in trying to figure out, you know, what are some angles here? Obviously, the sports angle, uh, live in Philly, you've been in SAS and alternative legal services, your the entire professional career after law school, and then also the way you identify yourself on LinkedIn, one of which is to say ex-lawyer. So that's sort of where I was I was going to jump off first. So just take us there. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we've already talked about this, but I'll reiterate it because I think it's an important point. Um, I, I know I'm no longer a practicing attorney. And in fact, by most measures, I never was. Um, worked at a big law firm, in particular, delivering what you call alternative legal services. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make me an ex-lawyer, right? That I no longer do that or that I never was actually like, you know, advising people on their legal rights and representing them in a court. Um, I had a really, uh, I had the kind of fortunate circumstance of when I was in law school, um, encountering a, um, a guy in, a, in one of our classes, it was like a seminar that they did for third year law students to kind of prepare us for the real world. It's probably the only thing they really did to do that. And it was optional. Um, and uh, and I, I, one, of the, one of the classes in the seminar was with a really interesting guy. Actually, I forget, I wish I knew his name. He was just, he was an alum of Duquesne where I went to law school. And his thing was, he was, you know, we, we met with a lot of alumni who were, you know, partner at XYZ law firm, in-house counsel at this energy company because it's Pittsburgh and that's what the companies are in Pittsburgh. Um, 
this guy was just a serial entrepreneur who happened to graduate from law school. And I really identify with him. And something he said, I think, relates to what you're challenging me on is whether I am actually an ex-lawyer. Um, you know, and he's saying like, look, people will tell you if you do not practice law that you are not a lawyer. And, and that's just not true because like you're, you're taking your lawyer brain to whatever it is that you do after this. And, and I think like it, it, that really helped clarify for me what was like a really a moment of considerable like identity crisis and sort of a turning point of what I wanted to do with my career in my life post law school and the questions I had about that. And so I've carried it with me. I've put it on my LinkedIn and it's part of my brand as like a SaaS sales guy. But like, I, I would agree with you, right? Like you never really leave that behind regardless of what it is that you do. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, I guess one of the reasons I was like sort of quasi pushing the envelope there is just seeing where you are right now and yeah. like having, having some understanding of what that business is like. I, I sort of have, um, viewed law pay as like this dinosaur, like in the law payments industry. It's like not, not, not a, not a dinosaur in a relic kind of way, just like a, right. it's, it's a behemoth. Um, yep. and so, and then just under understanding a little bit about my case and how that impacts the, you know, the business side of practicing law and feeling yeah. like you, you, you're in a sweet spot, if you will. Totally. I think like, I, I definitely am. Um, and, and it took me like with, like anybody you're going to talk to about this. It took me a while to get to this point where I feel like I feel very home and, and sort of like where I am supposed to be. Um, and, and there's a lot that kind of ties into that. Um, I, I came out of law school, like pretty lost, definitely professionally. And like, leading up to that, and we can, we can talk about this here in take two, um, but, you know, like leading up to that very personally throughout law school, I had a lot, it was a big inflection point, big kind of blender moment for me. Um, and when I came out of law school, I, I just, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had been a summer associate, a summer associate at a law firm in Pittsburgh and like, <laughs> wasn't asked back. And like, it's because like, I just, I, I, I went through the motions there and I was like, this sucks. Like, I, I hate this. Um, and, and just sort of fell ass backwards into this like offshoot sort of island of misfit toys within this huge law firm that did this, you know, this alternative legal service. And we like, we were doing a lot of cool stuff that like, I think we're at the time ahead of its time. It's now very important and very, is how I met you, like very consumed by, by big companies and small companies alike. Um, but what I, what I learned there was just like the, the rendering of, of legal services is so, so much of it is an exercise in getting out of your own way. And like, what do I mean by that? Like uh, I saw a really pertinent tweet yesterday, which is timely coming into this conversation because it really encapsulated like how I look at my career and like my brand and what I bring to the table as a lawyer or ex-lawyer, however you want to label me. Um, it was from Michael Siebel, who was the uh, managing director of Y Combinator, which is a, a big startup incubator in, in, in San Francisco. And he just out of nowhere just said, 
every repetitive task that a legal professional does is likely to be a software at some point. And like, I found myself in the first part of my career doing a lot of what I felt like was beneath me in my legal education. It was just like organizing documents and collecting signatures and like making sure things are, and like there are lots of like first year associates and in-house counsel and paralegals and like incredibly smart people that find themselves in this state where they're doing like quote unquote grunt work. And I think like following that, I just really dedicated my career to giving those really talented and smart people leverage. And the best way to do that is through the great technology that automates repetitive processes for them, makes information easier to access. And I think where I am at my case now, leading a sales team there, following an acquisition by Affinipay, which like you said, is like, is just, is the thing that processes payments for, for, for law firms. I find myself not only um, in a really exciting time in my career, but also like selling and evangelizing like the perfect solution for managing the business of the legal practice, which has always been really important to me. It's always what's gotten me charged up about being in the legal industry. And so now I get to kind of communicate that and connect people with all of those different solutions that are just going to make them better legal professionals, make their clients happier. It's really, it's really an exciting time. And it's, it's, I'm happy that I've kind of landed here. That's, that's great to hear. One of the benefits of doing this episode a second time is that we, yeah. get, to touch, we get to touch on something that I realized I missed that you had shared the first time. And that is the inflection point during, during law school where you're like, I guess I'm sort of editorializing, like, sure. why the hell am I doing this? And should I quit? Um, yeah. Yeah. So like talk a little bit about that. And like, uh, what you were thinking at the time and what, what kind of got you through it? Well, I think like, like a lot of people, um, in fact, people you've spoken with I, in preparation of this, for this episode, I, I listened to your conversation with Tony Albrecht because his background kind of looked similar to mine. Um, I, I kind of, I, I went to law school because like, I don't know that I really felt passionate about wanting to practice law. I just think I wanted to be successful and I talk a lot and read a lot of books. So like go, go on to law school. And I mean, I went during, wasn't the height of the recession, but it was sort of the, the, the fat end of the tail of the recession. So the, there wasn't really a whole lot of other opportunity for me. Um, I realize that sounds ambivalent, but like, that's kind of how I ended up there. So like that was already my foundation. Um, and, and so I was already kind of like, I, I, I felt a lot like I was going, going through the motions and not getting a whole lot of intellectual or spiritual stimulation from being there. Um, and kind of half, I mean, direct, like this is a, the other kind of piece of context here is, you know, I, I started law school um, in the middle of what was uh, my dad's five to 10 year long battle with cancer, uh, which he lost uh, directly halfway while I was in law school. And so I was already kind of just, you know, not on the fence, but I probably wasn't going into it with all of my being like I do with most things. And then I just kind of got thrown into the blender, right? Like 
this this really terrible event happens and i was left with kind of a lot of a lot of other existential questions besides should i even be here and it really just kind of accelerated that feeling you know that that pressure cooker feeling of like what am i doing here that question became like even bigger than just like what am i doing in law school what am i doing in pittsburgh who what are my relate and like it, a lot of things sort of really fell apart and snapped back together in a short amount of time and i i reflect on that a lot when i think about well i mean everything but also in my career because i i i think back in an alternative universe where that didn't happen i probably would have survived that summer associate gig and just been a successful employment lawyer <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in pennsylvania right um instead got smashed to pieces put back together again and did something completely different and i think ultimately what would have been more fulfilling for me because i was forced to right you 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 encounter those experiences where the house burns down and you just have to start anew um and that's happened to me a couple times since then right in different contexts and so i i i think about that a lot and i, I and i was thinking about that especially in preparation for this conversation because when I think about my career, that really was sort of biggest, biggest U-turn, I think, was coming out of that and just being pretty ambivalent as to whether I, you know, would carry Esquire after my name for the rest of my life. I don't anymore. I'm retired in Pennsylvania, as, as far as the Pennsylvania, state of Pennsylvania is concerned with my legal license, right? So I think that's kind of where I landed and, and look, it's a zigzag journey that led me here to this conversation to this point in my career, which is all ultimately a really good thing. Yeah, for sure. Grateful that you're here and that we're connected. Um, at at the risk of sounding like too touchy feely, zen like, like whatever. No, go for I, it. I, I yeah. feel like, but I feel like this. That's just one perception of what I'm about to say, but I truly, sure. deeply believe that, like. The opera, like the things that break us down and like challenge us to the absolute core, are like yep. really sort of what life's all about. Yeah, it just it sucks, but it like um, it. I I've sort of am this big believer that nothing is wasted. And, I agree with you. Yeah, and and like so in the instance of losing your dad kind of just going back there, I guess if you were to speak in general terms, how would you characterize yourself with your dad? And then mm. what do you think sort of changed about you post-dad? Wow. Wow. Um, I, I actually, when I talk with my, you know, he's, this all happened, this will be 10 years now that we've been in what I refer to as the post-Joel world. That's my dad's name. Um, it's a, that's a great question. And I don't know that I'm any, I don't know that I personally am any different. Um, what I can tell you is definitely my perception and of the world and of, and my priorities are different. Um, I think I, I, I was forced to grapple with the finite nature of life sooner than I would have liked. Right. And I'm fortunate, you know, he, he, I was 24 when he died. Um, 
that's still a longer time than many people have with their father. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that and that I had some measure of like, you know, adult interaction with him. Um, I don't, so I don't think my personality has changed at all. I will say that the, the, the process, and you, you mentioned, you said something before about how nothing is wasted and how those processes of being broken down are, are, are often sort of what you need to rebuild and become something better. The way I, I agree with that, the way I look at it, especially having followed my experience is that every big change that you, that you go through, even if on the grand order of things, it's still fairly small, involves some measure of grief. And the process of grief is that breaking down, right? It's, it's those stages that everybody kind of like become as cliche, they're very real. And if they are following in something intense, like the loss of a parent or a big move or getting fired from your job or whatever it is, like that, the, the intensity of that process can sort of fundamentally alter your perception and how you approach things. And if you do the work, I think is, is ultimately a net, a net good thing. Um, so I don't think my personality has changed at all. I think during the process of what I'm talking about, especially in sort of the immediate aftermath and like my second year of law school and like the back half of my second year of law school, which is why it was such an inflection point. I remember that so clearly. Um, I was like kind of the worst version of myself. And, and I was able to identify that and be like, all right, I got to like shut this down and, and, you know, manage that. And, and I, and I'm really aware of it now. Right. I was like very, I was very, very angry and inimical and like, you know, aggressive and just like, I was either at zero or 10 all the time. And like, I need to be at 10 for like the good stuff. And like, I understand that now in a very meaningful way. And so I think that's kind of what's, what's changed if anything about me following that yeah that's a really interesting conversation like as an aside and then i'll get back on topic it's yeah. sort of interesting too that we're having a completely different conversation than we did like yeah. our first uh trial run but uh back on topic um I empathize or kind of feel deeply sort of the notion that the the perspective situation and being the worst version of yourself like uh post that I think you know my dad passed away when I was a freshman in college and my my um my life experience at that time was big into baseball like I played baseball in college and um I wasn't that good uh but I I sort of maxed out my talent and did the best I could but I do remember very vividly I passed away in March and so for that next year and a half through my redshirt freshman year which was the following year I was just a complete asshole I mean I I felt I was I was like I guess I thought I was Will Ferrell from old school. Like I was just yeah. like, yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So but then it's like, it was such a slow harvest to, um, to get to where I am today. And in many ways come to terms that like, you know, I probably was more than just a baseball player, but I tried so hard to like fit, like be just that. Cause that, that's what I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just sit, share this as an aside, just as a way to kind of jump us off into some other conversation. It's funny now, like with my wife, like when we hang out with some of the guys that I used to play baseball with, she's like, like, 
it always kind of takes her back. She's like, holy shit. She doesn't say that. She's like, they think you're an idiot. And like, they, they don't, they don't real like so much has transpired, like went to law school, like did right. like, like clerk at the South Carolina Supreme court, which they don't have any concept of, but like for right. me, that was like very validating. It's like, Hey, I'm not an yeah. asshole or an idiot. Like, yeah. uh, right. uh, and so it's just, uh, anyways, it's kind of a random aside. Uh, yeah, I get it. Definitely. get. I it. mean, it, it also, it goes back to something we did talk about, which we can, we can talk about now, now that we're recording is like how you define yourself and how that changes. And what's funny about what you're saying is like, you know, you, you still have relationships with the people who knew you at a time where you defined yourself completely differently than you do now. But like that idea of you is just kind of encapsulated in Amber and like, that's how they know you. And then you've got your wife who's like, who did like, who were you when you were 19? And why, why are we still talking about it now that you're in your thirties? Like, this is, this is crazy. Right. And I think like at the time at that, you know, the time that we're talking about that, that, you know, coming off of this horrible event, being caught in this maelstrom of like, do I even really want to be here? Do I even really was I really just doing this to make him happy? Which like, yeah, hundred percent. Don't need to talk too much about that. That's exactly why I was in law school. Um, at the time I, I like got really caught up in defining myself as a lawyer. Cause I was in law school. I was going to be a lawyer. Like that was, that was the noun that was going to be me. And that concept and like the definition of yourself just changes over time. And I'm fortunate that I'm now able to define myself as Megan's husband, Emma's dad. And that, what that means is like that, that designation doesn't have to change ever. Now, what, what context comes to that designation might change, right? Right now, Emma, my daughter is two. She's learning to talk and like, is never not having fun. So like, I want to just continue delivering that experience for her. But you know, that, that will change, right? The, the objectives will change. Emma could have a sibling in the future. And so like that dynamic, like my, my definition of being dad, husband, like the requirements are going to change. So, so it, it, there's, there's a bit of comfort in that. And I think it just goes down to like how you define yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a helpful perspective. And that is something that we sort of were messing around with in our last conversation yeah and that is like you had mentioned like being a hobbyist and like during COVID like nailing like cooking and like having yeah. these elaborate meals or like yep. being like yep. a voracious consumer of music and being a guitar player and sort of all these things not to say like you've totally quit all of them but it, it no. seems pretty clear like you're super comfortable with like spending time with your family and focusing on having fun with them and delivering yep. like amazing experiences for Emma. We, and like a part of my comfort with that is like, I think I immediately now it was less so right, right when she was born, she was born in like the height of COVID. And this is another like blender moment for us as a family. It was like, we just got thrown into this thing and like got world around and ended up somewhere totally different moved. Like, I changed jobs, like everything kind of just like got rearranged around this. Well, right when she was born, we were just kind of trying to like 
survive both of us being in this tiny house with a crying newborn and just being on Zoom all day, which was like a already just kind of like not an ideal environment. And now that we've gotten past that and now that she's like interacting with us in like new ways every day, every week, something sort of new and exciting happens. Um, it sort of snapped me right back. And I was thinking about this this morning. Like, I, I think like my goal, and I think we're, we're getting there is like, I, I would love for Emma to have the, the same childhood that I have a memory of, which is just like, there aren't any, like, there aren't any obstacles other than yourself. Right. Like, I think that's something when I reflect back on my childhood that like, I, I grew up in a, household with financial security with like two loving parents my mom was a teacher she was an incredible she is an incredible nurturer like I had all of those things the only thing that was in my way was me and I think that's important to work through that and like I was given the space to work through that and to fuck up and try again right and I just want that for Emma and so um I, it's amazing like how when I sit back and think, okay, like what's my relationship with my family and what's, how am I going to define myself? It's about delivering that experience. Yeah. And so maybe that's the last place we'll go yeah. for, take two, for take two. And that take is two. this. Yeah. Um, sharing the new dad experience. Uh, yeah. So I feel like I'm resisting the tension of becoming a boomer because one of the things I'm one of the things I'm concerned about now uh -huh. is like you talk about delivering the same childhood or a similar childhood experience yeah. is I I'm so worried that kids don't get the chance to be kids and like they're with like social media and like everything everything's mm. recorded so it's like like the the fuck up seems so much so much more consequential like if the stuff I was doing was on video. I certainly might not be here, uh, might be in jail. I don't know. Uh, and so I, that, I, that part I fundamentally disagree with that. All right. Like, tell me why. Har harshly. Um, like, like look, look, look at who is leading our country right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, and like, and like the things that are caught on video about them Fair. and none of it, none of it has ever mattered. And so I think like, I think there's that aspect. I also think that what you're leaving out of that and what's feeding into your boomer mentality, which I would encourage you to, to, to discard, um, <laughs> is that there is a, there's, um, there's an acceptance of the fact that like, look, like a lot of your life, unless you're me, apparently, um, is going to be online and like kind of accessible. I think people... I think Emma's generation um, is going to grow up like understanding that and managing that a lot better than we did. There's probably going to be more of an online brand per person than we, we would know how to do because like we had the benefit of a little bit more privacy than they did. And like our parents were, you know, had that much more because they were that much more offline. I don't think like, I don't think it's ever going to be I think the world is just going to adapt to that new reality. And so kids being kids is just going to take on a new and different meaning. And it's up to us to make sure that that involves like 
physical activity and productive mental stimulation that isn't staring at a screen. That's amazing. What a great, what a great counterpoint and great, great way to end. So I hear we you. are recording, right? No, I'm not doing this again. No, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Thanks so much for uh, an extra 30 minutes of your time. Yeah, this was um, amazing. It's great to be connected. We need to recognize that this is possible because of the hard work and support of the well-run media team. They make this easy. And speaking of easy, big thanks to Huga Coworking for access to their studio. And of course, the lawyers who agree to take time out of their busy, busy schedules to be here, even though we're sure they have better things to do. So thanks for saying yes.